All right, I'm going to show you this video. This was just a few weeks ago. I like to get the view from the curb, and we, we, we like to do a bunch of things in and for the neighborhood to get the gospel of Jesus out there. And so we were the main sponsors for Casper Baby Pants, who I'm sure you are all devoted fans of, right? How many of you have even heard of this guy? No? Okay, I want to show you a bit, of the, a bit of the concert that he put on. I think you have to click it again and it'll go. Nothing you can see is a shame. Nowhere you can leave it isn't where you're meant to be. It's easy. All you need is love. Everybody. You all know it. All you need is love. All you need is love. Love. is all you need. So I'm distracted by these two siblings who are fighting like crazy girls. <laughs> It's a little hard to, to get in the mood here. <laughs> all you need is love. All together now. All you need is love. Everybody. All you need is love. Love. Let's shout down. Love is all you need. All right, everybody off the panel. Here we go. So that was good, right? So what did you notice, though? What did you, any observations? Or was it just fun? What is it? Did they all just get into it right at the beginning? No, they're like, what? The Beatles? You know, because he's been doing Christmas songs, and all of a sudden he's like, all you need is love. I, I got to be like a fly on the wall, right? I videotaped that. I'm like, or can you say that? Videotape that when you're using a phone? I took the video of that, and I was just up front, and I got to hand out all of these... Um, Advent calendars, saw the families afterwards. But what I observed, so I, when, I, when I say the view from the curb, what I observed is it actually took people a little while to get into it. The kids were really into it, okay? They were jumping around, that kind of thing. He had just made them sit down. He used the kids as a foil, like he, they, two kids were fighting. That's why he stops and starts talking. And he's like, he used that as a way to get them more comfortable, to get everybody more comfortable. They all laughed. All the parents laughed when he pointed it out. Then they start singing it again, all right? And he has to work hard to let them get their guard down that it's okay to sing this song about love, okay? And they finally start to loosen up. It's like they kind of try, it's kind of like the parents all, all around the edge. He's like, let's add the claps, okay, right? And they finally start doing it. And it's like they finally remembered there's some truth to these words, right? It took them a little bit to get into it, though. And we're the same way. We forget, not just weekly, not just daily, sometimes hourly or even minute by minute, that love is the answer to everything. And I mean everything. It is the answer to everything. And I suspect the reason that we forget is because all the things of this life are actively, they are working against us to convince us Everything that's happening to us day in, day out, our situation. Think about your life and all of the, all the things that make you worry and the things that you have to get done on your to-do list and all of that stuff and all the relationships. All of those things in this fallen world are working 
They're working to make us despair, to look inward. And then what we do is we start to be selfish and we think about ourselves and what we want and what I want. And then what we do is we forget the story that we're in. If we're following this person named Jesus, we forget that we're in his story. And churches in America, especially in America or in the West, after, over the last several decades, have not done much to help this because the primary message that we have been told is you're messed up and God is angry with you and he's got this thing called wrath. So to appease his own wrath, God sent his son to substitute as a substitute to atone for what you really deserve. Right? And so if you put your, so once you know that, so if you put your faith in him, in Jesus, and believe in him, then you will be saved and you won't get what you deserve. And you won't get what you deserve. No wonder we want to forget that story. No wonder we want to forget that story. Because let's be really clear, that is not good news. That is not good news. That is actually, at its worst, very manipulative, okay? And it doesn't stack up against something. And the thing it doesn't stack up against is the person of Jesus. That story that I just said about God's wrath and you're going to get what you deserve unless he steps in, all that. There are some little nuggets of truth in there, but it doesn't stack up against the person of Jesus that we see in the Scriptures. Now, we have been doing the work of Advent, Advent takes work. It's the beginning of the Christian year. It's not meant to be like, oh, I just sit here and it's all about the carols and we just kind of like coast on through. Advent is where we start. We like, we start in the darkness of this winter season and we light candles so that there can be more light in the room and we're reminded that Jesus is the light of the world. And it takes, it takes weeks and it's really just the beginning as we work towards Easter. And now we're on week four and the Holsters have just taken us through this story in Scripture from Luke chapter 2. And we've steeped ourselves in this work that we've been doing in Advent. We've steeped ourselves in these three ideas. Number one, on the first Sunday of Advent, that God is with us. Number two, on the second Sunday, that God is for us. Number three, that God is working in our midst. And these three ideas, they correspond to these deep, ancient Advent truths, the themes Let's go to the next slide. The themes are hope and peace and joy and love. And this is where it begins. And it takes work. You don't just go, oh, yay, hope, peace, joy, love. It's a season of we work. We sit in this. We marinate in this reality that Jesus has come into the world. So today, we're going to come at this just a little bit differently as we remember God's love for us. What I want you to focus on today is recognizing, recognizing who God is. The last couple of Advent seasons, I've been trying to be more serious about the idea that I have some work to do at Advent. So I asked the question, has Advent done its work in me? Has Advent done its work in in me and have I done the work of Advent and more and more I think the work of Advent is to recognize who God is and here's what I mean by that let's let's read a different birth narrative from John chapter 1 John says this and you're all fairly familiar if you're not this is kind of deep but we're gonna we're gonna go through it and, and and focus on one section in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God 
He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. If you're following along in your Bibles, skip down to verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or of her husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Now there's a statement in the middle of that section of scripture that's just really kind of haunting to me because I've been a Christian since, I, since April 6th, 1986. I've been through a lot of Christmas seasons, okay? The phrase that is haunting is, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Remember the question we started with? Do I recognize him? The real him. The true God. And that's the question that's at the center of Advent for me right now. And, and I think it will be for the rest of my life. Every Advent. Do I know him? Do I receive him? Later in the story of Jesus, in every gospel, and I just mean generally, because it's these birth narratives and then it's like he's an adult, right? If you read your Bible, he's born and then he's adult. We don't have any of the teenage years. We don't have any of the elementary school years, right? He's just an adult. That's what everybody is struggling with when they encounter Jesus as an adult. Do I know who do I, I see this guy and he's about God. Do I know who God is? Do I recognize him in this person of Jesus? That's what everyone's struggling with. It's also what the birth narrative of Jesus is asking us to struggle with too. Do you see it? Do you recognize him? Can you believe it? Can you even imagine God as a human being? Can you even imagine that? And we get in the way of ourselves all the time. And for some reason, whether you grew up in church or not, but I think especially if you did grow up in church, you received that false narrative that I mentioned before, that God is very, very angry with you. And we've explored this idea together before, but in the face of that, I keep repeating this to all of you, church. <laughs> if you want to know what God is really like and what he's up to and what he thinks of you, you need, no, you need to look no further than the person of Jesus. Okay? I keep repeating this because I need to hear it. I need to hear that over and over and over again. And I suspect you do too. After a lot of discussion with many of you, with many other Christians over the years, after a lot of rereading the story of Jesus and reexamining the scriptures and the gospels over and over and over again, here's what I have come to believe. When you think God is after you, that he's angry with you, because that's the message you receive somehow along the way, along your journey, even if no one explicitly told you that story or whether you've just implicitly believed it, 
because of your experience or whatever. What I've come to believe is when you think of God as angry and wrathful, it's really a projection of your own fears. Really. Because you need to look at the person of Jesus to see what he thinks of you. What does Jesus think of you? The view of God that we have is a projection of people's fears when we think he's wrathful and he's after you and he's angry with you all the time. But it's not real. I mean, Nate just took us through it. Look at the amazingness of what God has just has done. But humanity has been struggling this for, with this for millennia. Even way back when the church was just forming, the church fathers were like, you could go that route that it's all about he's wrathful and blah, blah, blah. But that is not true. Case in point, I could give you a, a hundred church fathers that say stuff like this, that argue the other way. But here's just one. St. John Cassian. He lived in the 300s, like three, I want to say 360 to like 420 something. He said, to say God is literally angry, wrathful, or violent is idolatry, and it is a monstrous blasphemy. And I, I keep reminding us that we have to view the Scriptures for what they really say, and we're going to go over that at the end of this, what the Scriptures really say. It's a monstrous blasphemy. Seriously, whoa. This guy is not, you know, for those of you who grew up more conservative... This is, a this is a church father from the 300s, okay? And, he, and he's, he's not being left-wing all crazy out here, okay? He is struggling seriously with who God is. Let's recognize who God is. And he's like, it's not that. I think we get up, we get hung up on the idea that God is, he must be angry with me. He must be wrathful and vengeful because, why? Because that's the way we operate, Right? Just think about driving in traffic in Seattle, anywhere, or even trying to walk across the street, right? Or trying to find a parking place. I am mad. Someone needs to pay for this. Someone needs to fix this. This week, something happened to one of my kids at school that I did not like. And my wife told me, and I, I blew my fuse like you have not seen, probably none of you have seen it, but like you've not seen in a long time. My kids were like, what is wrong with dad? Right? I blew my fuse, and I was mad, and I wanted to get even. You know? I just watched the, I'm not going to go there, Top Gun. <laughs> when he does the flyby, right, of the tower. What does that guy say? I want some, hmm. Yeah. You want to get somebody. You want to get somebody. By the way, new Top Gun coming out this summer. Um, good news. It's gospel. <laughs> I was mad. I wanted vengeance. And I didn't want it on the kid that did something to my kid. I was mad that when my wife went and told the administrator what happened, the administrator did nothing and poo-pooed it and put it back on my wife. And my wife, to her credit, was like, don't you dare say that. I'm here because X, Y, Z. And then the administrator was like, I'm sorry, but it still didn't solve the issue. I wanted retribution. Right? Because it's my kid. Right? Why? Retribution stems from our fears. I want to lash out. I'm afraid that if I don't get back at you, that this will just keep happening. I'm afraid that judgment's going to still come towards me. Right? 
God doesn't operate that way. That's what I mean by the work of Advent. We have work to do. When we look at these birth narratives of Jesus, it forces us to see God for who he really is. This is, I think this is what John was saying elsewhere. First John chapter 4, verse 18, he said, There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made in perfect love. Brilliant. We think we've arrived so much in the 21st century. And here, 21 centuries ago, these people are like, here's some truth for you. There is no retribution in God. He never comes to us like that. Do you see any retribution in the Christ child? God's like, here you go. Here's me. Is that vengeance? No. It never comes that way, even though we want it to come that way. We want it to come that way sometimes. We want the wrath to come. We feel like we deserve it. And God's like, yeah, I get that. I made you. <laughs> I get that. But God doesn't bring on the wrath. Am I letting Advent do its work in me? Do I recognize God for who he really is? What's crazy about this is we don't want God to be kind. We don't want him to be kind. We project this stuff on him. We don't want him to be loving. We want him to pour out his wrath when righting the wrongs in the world. We want him to be our hitman. We want him to take people out. Christians actually say this crap. And you wonder why the world doesn't trust us. That kind of thing. The story arc of these Christian stories, uh, the birth narrative, the Christmas story of Jesus in the cradle on his way to the cross, the arc of it goes towards the cross where Jesus takes up all of our pain and our grief and our mistakes and our perpetrations of evil and sin and he swallows it all in love and he recycles it as grace. That is what Advent does to us. That's what it does to me. It forces us to deal with God's love. Because we're like, love, what does love mean, right? Right? I love movies. I love my wife. The word is not sufficient. We really have to look at Jesus to understand what it means. I love the way Michael Ramsey said it. Michael Ramsey, let's put this quote up here. Uh, he was the hundredth Archbishop of Canterbury in the Anglican Church. He says, God is like Jesus and in him is no unchristlikeness at all. What? Look at it. Let it sink in. Let that quote sink in. God is like Jesus and in him, in God, is no unchristlikeness at all. Oh my gosh. Let, let's, maybe this will help illustrate it a little bit. I have a, just take about three and a half minutes. I want you to listen to this song. Let's bring the lights down for a minute and listen to this song. And then we'll talk about it. Amen. You might be thinking hard right now how to reconcile who God is in the total narrative of Scripture because if you're like me, you know, you're like, oh, there's this Old Testament God, and how do I figure out that with this New Testament God? 
And uh, you, people, the classic argument is that, well, God's like into vengeance and protecting his people and killing off all these tribes and blah, 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 blah. It's a valid question. And it's really hard to understand, but I've doing been a lot of I've been doing a lot of work on this and starting to read a lot of other really hard work that really smart people have done on this subject. I highly recommend, by the way, picking up Greg, Greg Boyd's book, um, Crucifixion of the Warrior God, which deals with that question. It's massive, though. Just so you know, it's a really fat. It's a really big book. But after reading these birth narratives for four weeks reading the story of Jesus being born in the flesh, the Christmas story, again and again and again. We're stuck with this notion of God with us, Emmanuel. God with us. God is with us. God is for us. God is working in our midst. God loves us. And the song says, that the chorus of the song that we just listened to is, and who would have dreamed? And who would have dreamed or ever foreseen that we could hold God in our hands. The giver of life is born in the night, revealing God's glorious plan to what? To save us. If we are worth saving, what does that say about who God is and what he thinks of you? When you think about the narrative arc of Scripture in the New Testament in these Christmas stories, here's where I've landed on reconciling what many people think about a wrathful God in the Old Testament. And really, we've just carried it on because that's that false gospel that's like, you're so evil. And there's elements, again, don't hear me right, there's elements of that thing that is right. But that's not good news the way that we state it. And it's not the way Jesus would state it, especially as we're leading up to his birthday. Here's where I've landed on that, how we've kind of messed up the good news by putting... We put the wrath at the center instead of the love. Every scripture that claims to reveal God, which is, includes most of the Old Testament, there's a bunch of scriptures that claim to reveal God, they must bow down to the living God when he came in the flesh. Do you understand what that means? Let me say it again for you. Every scripture, let's put this up on the screen, every scripture that claims to be a revelation of God must bow down to the living God when he came in the flesh. Do you hear what I'm saying? Yes, we believe in the Bible. Yes, we believe that these scriptures are inspired and they are the authoritative word of God, as does nearly every church that I've ever known, regardless of the denomination. And they've got their different little things on that. Everyone does. We do too. We are about Jesus, the person in the flesh. Who he is, is who we bow down to. And so all of those scriptures that say all that stuff, that puts all this negative connotation about who God is, they all bow down to the person of Jesus in the flesh. The Christmas story is about the God of the universe becoming a human being. This is sci-fi at its best. It's awesome. It's God-sanctioned, out of this world, beyond your dreams, unreal stuff that the maker of the universe 
would be a human. Why? Because He loves you. He loves you. He's like, do you get it now? I'm a baby. Do you get it now? Do you recognize me as God? There are a lot of different ways we could put this. In and through. The, the classic one is, in and through Jesus, God is up to something new. That's what we call it the New Testament. Yeah. But we just kind of like gloss over that. In and through Jesus, God is up to something new. Let's illustrate this in a different way. Jesus is like a brand new, groundbreaking invention. Okay? After Jesus, let's say he's invented. Let's say he's an invention. He's invented. After Jesus, everything that came before him is now obsolete. Right? How did we get light 200 years ago into a room this big without electricity? How, how do we do that? Candles? Gas lamps? Torches? I don't know. You know? Fire? Jesus is like the adoption of electricity. Do you ever go back once you have electricity? Do you ever go back to the outhouse once you have indoor plumbing? No. No. He is like physics. He is like nuclear atomic studies. Once you know it, you don't go back. You keep going forward. He's like the internet. He's like cell phones. And there used to be landlines. He's like PayPal and Square as versus a brick and mortar bank. He's like Tesla electric cars versus internal combustion engines. This will change. Doesn't matter what you think now and how you grumble or what county you're from and argue about it and all that blah, blah, blah. 150 years from now, there will be no internal combustion engines. Unless it's just a little hobby and they will fine you for it a lot. Jesus is brand new. Everything else culminates and bows down to him. It culminates in him and it bows down to him. And his, what he brings is this new understanding that God is love. God is love. For centuries, for millennia, everyone thought of the gods as angry. And he's not. Brian Zahn, a pastor I deeply respect, pastors of a church called Word of Life Church in uh, Missouri, he says, when the Bible says that Jesus is the Word of God, think about it this way. M Matthew read this for us this morning in his prayer. Jesus is what God has to say about himself. Think about that. Jesus is what God has to say about himself. And at Christmas, God announces himself through Jesus as an infant. And he says, here is my gift to you. Here is my gift to you. And so Advent wakes us up and says, Jesus is your new lens for life. Jesus is your new lens for how you see the whole world. I'm going to invite the band back up here.
we're going to come to our time of communion in a minute, but this is the ultimate work of Advent, to come to grips, because it's hard. We struggle with this reality I've been describing in our hearts all the time. We need to come to grips with the fact. It's kind of weird to phrase it that way, but we need to come to grips with the fact that God loves you. He loves you infinitely. He loves you boundlessly. He loves you without restriction. He loves you without reservation. He loves you so much that, as that song said, He would put Himself in your hands at Christmas. Amen? Should make you a little nervous, but also really, really excited. So for communion, we have an open table here at West Seattle Christian, and that means if you believe in this Jesus, and you've put your faith in Him and the story his story of salvation, that he invites you to his table to partake in his meal that remembers him. And in this remembrance of his life, death, and resurrection, that's what we're celebrating when we come to this table, that we have faith and believe in his life, death, and resurrection. If you believe that, then you're welcome to come and uh, partake. So please come. The way we do that here is you come and you take the bread and you dip it in the, in, the, in the wine, the juice, and you go back to your seat. And then I will lead us in a prayer when we've all partaken and had time to meditate. What we always do when we do this is we remind ourselves of what Jesus did by reciting the words of institution, which you found in 1 Corinthians 11, which say this. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you drink this bread, eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And that's what Advent is about, that he came and that he is coming again because he loves us. Let's pray. Father, we claim and proclaim this Christmas story and all the scriptures that point to Jesus and your love for us. We find in Deuteronomy that it says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He's the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. And in the Psalms it says, But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. It also says, give thanks to the God of heaven. His love endures forever. In Jeremiah, it says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. In Zephaniah, it says, the Lord is your God and he's with you. The mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. In 1 John, it says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. In 1 John 4 it says, And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God. And God lives in them. And so, Father, as we eat this bread and drink from this cup, we proclaim 
the love, the glorious love of your son, Jesus, over us. Amen.